Okay, welcome everyone to another episode of the Stallone Podcast Network show. I am your host, and with me are my equal, if not better, co-hosts, Doug Greenberg from the Rocky Minute and Craig, the Podfather from Slycast. How you guys doing? No, things are going well. Things are going well. I'm crazy busy lately, so I haven't been podcasting much. I haven't been putting out much content. You know, I took on a second job, so things are really going wild right now. But let the listeners know. Some some people only know you through the podcast, but they care and love you. So let us know what's mm-hmm. going on. My everyday paying gig is uh, I'm a police officer by day. Oh, what? And uh, <laughs> yeah, you haven't mentioned that in a while, right? A couple years away from retirement, and I'm trying to plan for the future. I love fitness, so I got a job at a gym. So I'm doing some uh, coaching and personal training and group training on the side um, while I'm getting ready to retire and do that full time. That's awesome. That's why our yeah. uh, one of our hosts on our Last of the Action Heroes Podcast Network, uh, Seiko, who does the uh, Mel Gibson and Arnold podcast, uh, that's why he loves you so much because you lift weights because you're a manly man. Girly man like me is not a good enough man for Seiko, but you with your noodle arms over there. That's right. Hey, I got to noodle something else too. All right, uh, Craig, what's going on with you, brother? Not much. I got my my slippers on, ready to rock and roll. I know uh, we're both part of the Slipper Club, so uh, it's very very inside. Right there. Yeah, that's like, yeah, if you're not my Facebook friend, you don't know my slipper. My slipper game is on point this year. My wife got, yeah. me, my wife got me a new pair of slippers, and they're fantastic. I'm wearing them right now on my feet. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, that makes three of us then. We're all yeah. three of us rocking hey, our slippers. I, I, I was less than enthusiastic with the results of this poll. And I want to express the fact that it has nothing to do with the movie. It's the fact that this will now be the third time I am podcasting about this movie three too many times i did some prep for this ryan um i do have to mention that a lot of the stuff i'm going to talk about and a great companion piece of this episode would be uh, i'm not sure if you picked it up yet or not but quentin tarantino about a month ago released a book called cinema speculation i've seen that i saw you post that so without you posting i didn't know he had done that but yes that's my ever-growing cue of stuff to read because I love him. He's yeah. Yeah. So it's basically a book about 70 cinema and each okay. chapter is devoted to a different movie. Oh, oh. Um, okay. And one of the chapters in the book is Paradise Alley. Say and, no more. I got to get this book. So are you going to share some of his thoughts on this then? For the well, book? yeah. But I mean, not only does he talk about Paradise Alley, he basically in the 20 or 25 page chapter that it is, he talks about Lords of Flashbush, Rocky, Rocky 2, Rocky 3, Rocky 4. It's pretty great. I learned some stuff uh, about Paradise Alley that is not like listed on the wiki page, which is pretty cool as well. Well, you're going to have to share some of that. I skipped ahead to it because I've been slowly reading it, and it was further along in the book than I got. And it was it's funny, Doug, when I texted you guys earlier and said I was ready to go, you know, I was just letting you know that I, I was available. Uh, and then I was like, oh, shit, there's that chapter on Paradise Alley and Cinema Speculation. So then it was like a race for me to read it uh. before... <laughs> You know, before you message and said you were ready to go, but thankfully I was able to to read the whole chapter. Yeah, and I was later than you know than I said I was going to be. Well, it's okay, Doug. You know, I just really want to say I love you guys. You guys are like truly like brothers to me. And you know, I started this years ago, and you guys were the first. So I just really want to say it's just always a privilege and honor because I truly enjoy individually the Rocky Minute Show, which is on the network, Slycast, which is archived on the network, and you've got new shows on the network too since network you know, with the Ramble specials that you did, Craig. You know, truly, you guys mm-hmm. really do a good product. I do appreciate that. Anyway, so I need to get you guys on my Rambo Three Season Three if you guys would like. The reason why I didn't get you on Season Two, I had more co 
co-hosts and guests lined up than I had episodes. I'm going through the show a little bit quicker, or the series a little bit quicker. I've mentioned Mm -hmm. before, but again, if you're listening to this and you don't know, I run a Ramble podcast called It's a Long Road, the Ramble Series podcast. It's actually a lot of fun to do. And every episode, I have a new (coughs) co-host, a new guest co-host. I've had very few returning guests because I'm going through the series a lot quicker because it's Ramble. Like, you can't really dissect... You know, the way you do with Rocky, you know, characters' motivations and dialogue and the relationship of Ramble with his characters is very minimal compared to the Rocky series. Anyways, so I'm already starting season three. It's coming up very shortly. I'll get you guys on for season three, Ramble three, if you both like. We'll do that in the new year. Yeah, that'd be great. Okay. Absolutely. Well, right out front here, so fitting that this movie actually won the poll. And I don't know if people voted on it because of this, but could you argue that this is a Christmas movie? I, I don't know how quickly I'm going to get the editing done. However, yes, the time of this recording, we're five days from Christmas. So there you go, a little behind the curtain. So I had no idea Sly wrote another <laughs> Christmas holiday film. We've got First Blood took place at Christmas. Rocky Four took place at Christmas. Rocky Five took place at Christmas. Well, there's a Rocky Three opening montage was at Christmas time when Mickey was dressed up as Santa. What else? Oh, the original Rocky. Paulie um, beats up the house right around Christmas. Of course, the original Rocky. But I know there's another Sly movie that's a Christmas. I couldn't believe it one nice. Oh, was it Tango? One of those movies was. Oh, wait, Cobra. Cobra, that's right. Cobra Christmas. That's right. Yeah. So Paradise Alley, Christmas. People, what we do is we put on the poll. I decided just to do two films, Rhinestone versus Paradise Alley. Rhinestone came out strong at first on Twitter and the Facebook. And I thought for sure Rhinestone was going to run away with this because Rhinestone is Rhinestone. I mean,. Mm-hmm. But Paradise Alley won both the popular vote <laughs> on Facebook and on Twitter, so I didn't even have to do a count. They both won their respective social media forums. Paradise Alley it is, friends. Before we get into the dissection, Doug, was this mm-hmm. your... No, we know Craig's watched it a few times for his other podcast. Doug, have you seen this before the poll and before this episode? Is this the first time viewing or... Well, before uh, I touch on that, I just want to say either way, we would have won because whichever movie won the poll, we still would have got to hear Sly sing, so... It's a good day for all of us. <laughs> anyway, yes, this was the first time I've ever seen Paradise Alley. To nobody's surprise, I a lot of these movies that we've covered, it, it was either my first time seeing it or I, I saw it once 30 years ago and haven't seen it since. Yeah, but this was my my first time seeing it. You know what else? It, it's not that surprising, Doug, because like a lot of times now I gauge whether or not somebody's going to watch a movie, whether or not it's available free via a subscription on a streaming service. And this one right. is a three ninety nine rental. I don't understand how you have Frank Stallone in your movie and Tom fucking waits and you decide to sing the theme song. <laughs> it might be the height of Stallone's ego on display to think that you can sing a, a song better than Frank Stallone and Tom waits making his feature film debut. Like, yeah, Stallone wasn't even bonafide. I mean, he had Rocky under his belt, but that was it. All great points. I don't know if he was just rubbing it in Frank Stallone's face or what, but... Frank is a very accomplished singer. He's a very good singer. Let's see uh, Sly. Let's listen to his uh, opening uh, song here. Too close to paradise And too close to hell And sometimes the difference is too hard to tell With empty pockets And old worn-out seats This is making me think of like a Trey Parker, Matt Stone <laughs> yeah. parody film. 
seriously, listen to that song. It's a it's a good song. It's well produced. Can you imagine Tom Waits singing that? Yeah, yeah. He he's really like overdoing the voice. I, I know that that's what you mean by comparing it to Trey Parker, Matt Stone, but you're like you're really like putting on a voice. I had heard he sung the opening theme. Uh, one of my guest hosts on the Rambo podcast, actually, of course, we all know him, John Rivoli. And John, if you're listening to this episode, please forgive maybe all of our comments regarding this film. He told me, hopefully I'm not divulging anything I'm not supposed to because he's friends with Sly, right? They're friends. They talk. Hopefully I'm not revealing anything I'm not supposed to. So John was really excited that we were going to review this. I mentioned that this was something we we're going to do in the future. And he's like, oh, great. He says, great. It's a fantastic film. He said, this film is very special and dear to Sly's heart. So I just give that caveat to, to tread lightly here because a, a friend of Sly might, <laughs> might listen to the show. We mentioned the Tarantino's book and chapter on Paradise Alley, and he makes some good observations in it. He says that without Paradise Alley, Stallone wouldn't have been able to direct Rocky II the way that he did. Do you see how or why that is? I, I think he just said, you know, that helming a film first one's always going to be tough and you learn lessons during that okay and he also makes the argument that stallone is probably sylvester's best director (laughs) (laughs) which i thought was an interesting way of stating it i think stallone is the only actor that sylvester doesn't push around (laughs) and i can understand sly's opinion that it's a, a or the idea that this is a film that's very close to sly's heart because if you think about it it's got a lot of Sly-isms in it. He learned a lot, obviously, you know, while making Rocky. And Rocky is by far a a better script. It's very rare that you see a filmmaker make a film that is completely their own. And I know Sly has sort of regretted the editing process of this film and said that, you know, there were scenes that were taken out that he didn't agree with. Hey, look, we do a slow podcast. I love Sly. He's my, like I've always said, he's my favorite on-screen hero. I get it. He's passionate about his product. This is his art, right? And so imagine if you wrote a book and you gave it to the publishing company and the publishing company takes the book and rips out paragraphs and chapters, the character developments, it gives you back the book and now it's a pamphlet. I understand. That'd be very frustrating for a creator. So Sly basically said that for this film, there's a lot of stuff that was taken out that enhanced characters, developments, stories. The film was almost two hours long as it is with the cut, so I'd be very curious to see. So is there a three-hour cut? And you know what? I'm not going to lie to you. If Sly goes back to the drawing drawing board and does a Paradise Alley director's cut, I'm all for it. And I would be very curious to see the whole story. I know Sly does this a lot with some of the films that kind of get mismanaged. He always says the editor, this, the studio, which might not be untrue, but it does seem like a lot of the mishandling is always out of his control type handling. Biggest tell to me, Ryan, is like you said, it's an hour and 48, 49 minutes. If this was 88 minutes, I'd buy that editing excuse a little bit more. I'd also be curious to see this TV cut that he well, he references that some of those scenes were put back into the TV cut. That was the monkey. Yeah, okay. There yeah. was also uh, a scene where a legless veteran was um, at the bar that he was talking to or something like that. that yeah. Apparently, he re-entered into the, into the film. It yeah. wasn't in the, well, I, the, uh, the version we watched. And there's also a novelization that Sly wrote that I'm sure has a lot of those scenes. Some information that Tarantino goes through in the cinema speculation chapter. But he talks about the development of this film. But he says, initially, this film was, uh, as we know, after Lords of Flatbush, Happy Days took off. And Sly called up his friend Henry Winkler. And Henry Winkler actually set this up as a TV movie at ABC. 
where Henry Winkler was going to play Cosmo and Sly was going to play Vic. For whatever reason, that didn't go. Sly's original intent for actors in this movie, and do you do, do either one of you guys know who Stallone's Dreamcast was? He also wanted Pacino play Armand DeSanti's part, right? Tarantino references De Niro as Cosmo, Pacino as Lenny, and Stallone as Vic. Did Armand Asante not remind you of a young Godfather era Al Pacino? That's the other funny thing. Tarantino basically says that Armand Asante comes into this movie as like a budget Pacino, and he basically spent the next 25 years of his career playing a budget Pacino. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I wanted yeah. to ask you guys, it's funny that both versions, Sly was sort of pitched as Vic, who's, you know, the big physical and in the final movie, of course, he plays Cosmo and he references quite a few times that he's not big enough to do the things that Vic does. Did, did either one of you guys get a kick out of that? I didn't pick up on that, but that's great. That's hilarious. I want to talk about Vic, of course, the actor slash boxer that played Vic. Vic played by uh, Lee, Lee Cantonello. Yeah, or- he was a real boxer. And I believe his nickname was the Italian Stallion. This guy... He looked like a Jack Marlon Brando. Did you guys catch that? Yeah. Yeah, he did have the Marlon Brando vibe. He So he was a real-life boxer, and he hasn't done anything. He's still alive. He still does, like, boxing and runs a boxing club or gym or something. So he's, like, that legit world. Why didn't he have a career? I thought he played the great lug, innocent, dopey, luggy, kind of like Lenny from Of Mice and Men type personality. Apparently, he was cast as Tarzan in the um, the version of Tarzan directed by John Derrick. Okay. Um, I think Bo Derrick was in it. Apparently, Lee was less on the Seco and Doug diet and more on the Craig diet and oh, fitness he, regimen. So he put on some weight and stuff and got out of shape after this film? So he really turned into Marlon Brando. <laughs> A few years before Marlon Brando did it, probably. So Lee Canalito became uh, Canaloni. <laughs> Sorry, it's a stupid pattern. Canoli? <laughs> Canoli, Canoli. Oh boy! His physique in this film—he's a big boy. I mean, he was—he was toe to toe with Terry Funk. Now, how ugly is Terry Funk? He's thirty-four in this film. He still looks like he's fifty. Oh my god! He was thirty-four. Yes, he is ugly. He's an ugly dude. You know, you know what I was thinking the whole time. I'm like, they could have cast him in Goonies as Chunk without doing any. Oh, as a sloth, no, sloth, you mean? sloth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, like without yeah. doing, they didn't need any of the makeup. And I mean, Terry Funk's great. Forehead, he's awesome. His forehead was already scarred to death with the cuts from his wrestling. At the end of the day, we know he's a legend. I get it. If you're in the wrestling fandom and yeah, he is a hardcore wrestling legend. But he had legit had those diagonal scars in his forehead from when mm-hmm. the wrestlers cut their foreheads to get that blood down their face with during these wrestling matches they call it juicing oh it's so gross i actually hate it rick flair does it and uh hogan it's some juice that. i hate it i don't like it i don't real blood is real blood i get it but the front of the or no they call it color too you oh. know that match is gonna have oh, some yeah. color oh okay i'm not a fan of it and i like wrestling back in the day i owe but i never i never got excited by the blood it never excited me just never real happened. quickly i know we're we're spending a lot of time on the background of this film but uh, this, according to the stuff that I read, was written by Stallone before even Rocky was. Yep. He went to the studio for an acting gig, 
And when he didn't get the acting gig, he said, oh, by the way, I do a little bit of writing. And he handed them the Paradise Alley script. I guess they looked at it and liked it, but they were looking for something completely different. So they asked him, do you have anything else? And that's when he started well, writing Rocky. Well, not entirely, Doug. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Doug, that's kind of what I got. So before before Craig uh, takes you to school, because Craig's taking oh, us to wrestling doing... school and he's taking us to slide school. Boy, I know. for a guy that never brings notes, he's like owning this episode. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> he's on the Quentin Tarantino school of, of 1970s cinema. But before you get to explain it, let me, let me reiterate what Doug said, because I thought this was what happened too. So I thought the story was he goes to the studio – and he presented them a script saying, I've got a script here. I've got Paradise Alley. And they're like, it's not really what we're looking for right now. Do you have anything else on the on your tableau? And then he's like, well, let me go see what I have. And then he went to go write Rocky. And because Paradise Alley failed with the producers first, Rocky was then created. It might have become part of the mythology, but it's my understanding that Stallone, classic Stallone, is he signed a bad deal for Paradise Alley. And he had already sold the script to somebody else when he went to have that meeting about Rocky, he had paradise alley, but it was attached to two other producers that wouldn't play nice. Stallone had no choice, but to write something else. Hmm. Okay. Right. Interesting. Okay. Sly is actually, it might be in the Wikipedia page, but he's pretty vocal. He doesn't name them by name, oh, he does but he could. Kind of no, you're right. I'm reading that now. He, yeah, he calls it. him the maggot. What did he say there? I was very broken. I optioned the screenplay for Paradise Alley to a real, how should I say this, maggot who puts his hook so deep in, I could never get it away from him. So the first time I went to meet Chardoff and Winkler, I was there on an acting job. I didn't get it. But on the way out, I said, I have this screenplay called Paradise Alley. They said, bring it over. And I did. They wanted to make it, but the other cretin that I had optioned it to was so obnoxious, so overbearing that the producers wanted nothing to do with me or the screenplay. So on the way out, they said, if you have any other ideas, we'd be happy to look at them. Uh, that's when he went home to write Rocky. So we're all on the same track there. Okay. Yeah. Very interesting. Now, that's very telling. Now, here's both the problem and the good thing about Paradise Alley regarding its release, chronological release, because this was written before Rocky, and this film, unfortunately, was sort of slammed by critics because Rocky came out first. Rocky, obviously, the movie and the character, some, some of the ideas, even some of the, you know, the bum... The wrestling and the underdog part of it, the getting out of the neighborhood and all this stuff. This place stinks. A lot of mannerisms and story, or it's not storylines, but story beats. It's very Rocky-esque. And you could almost oh. argue, because, so yes, but Rocky, ironically, borrowed from Paradise Alley. It's just that Rocky got released first and it was a great film. It was the film that launched Sly's career. So Paradise Alley comes out afterwards and you're like, this is kind of like a Rocky ripoff. When ironically, yeah. Rocky might be a Paradise Alley ripoff. Right. Yeah. If you're comparing the two films, Rocky clearly has a point of view, a solid point of view. Whereas I think the biggest criticism I could probably make of Paradise Alley is it leans on too many characters, too many different times, and you don't have a consistent lead. It's a Cosmo movie for a while. You get that little bit of Vic and Susan. You get some Lenny stuff. But at the end of the movie, like, you don't really feel attached to any of them, or at least I didn't. You know what my biggest criticism of the film is? This. Oh, 
Oh, good. So, so we haven't made it past the opening credit. Okay, so let's talk about this film. This is my first time seeing this, 2022. I've never seen... This is that film that is, uh, like Louise in our chat called it. It's my. It was my great whale, too. Like, the fact that I saw Lords of Flatbush before Paradise Alley is insane. Just think, this film was four years before First Blood. I love Sly, but this was like Rocky Five, Rocky on <laughs> speed. His jokes and his quip. Da, da, ba, da, ba, da, ba, da. Now he gets a little bit hard at the end when he has this change of heart for his brother. He doesn't want to do it for the money. He sees his brothers getting beaten up or hurt or whatever. But this con artist, fast talking, it didn't work for me. It was actually annoying, and I hate to say that because I again I love Sly, but I found his character and the way. Stop talking. <laughs> he always has something to say. Equip. Nobody in this real world would ever respond to him or give him any kind of credit. He sounds like a lunatic. Ultimately, that Cosmo character is just a hustler. He's supposed to be a hustler with heart because that's Stallone or that's the Rocky, you know. And I think he was trying to sell that to us a little bit because he has the shows that heart at the end. Even that flip was a little too sudden, you know. He was the one that was trying to get his brother into the wrestling. He was the one that wanted to make the money off of it and be the swindler. But all of a sudden he turns and he's like, okay, this is too much for him. It's like him and Lenny switch places there. Anything left on Lee, kind of Lito's film debut? I actually didn't have time or I didn't get deep into his boxing career. I thought he had a real presence on screen. Like if I was a scout for movies or a producer type thing and I saw this film and if he, I guess the weight gain, that's the problem, I guess. Well, yeah, but also you, you, you have to wonder how much of that was... Lee as an actor or Lee just being Lee? I just thought he was great. So either he was just cast perfectly, and I don't quite know the story. Well, I did actually found a behind-the-scenes documentary on YouTube on this movie, and Lee was talking to the camera, and he said that, yeah, Sly called him. He got a phone call from Sly. So to Sly's credit, he's really good at finding... From, like, Hulk Hogan, who was a nobody, Mr. T, Dolph Lundgren, mm, yeah. and Lee Canalito. Like, give Sly full credit. He's got a great eye for characters and for casting people and these big boys, essentially, and putting them in these roles that he's created. I think he's great at that. Yeah, Donald just made a nice joke in the chat about Cosmo being sensitive, which is a real funny couple minutes in the film where he tells everybody that he's sensitive. You have to be nicer to him. Yeah, he does say twice that he's sensitive. <laughs> I'm sensitive! Yeah, I'll see if I can find that. You know what else he says a lot? That he has class, which is... A Rocky three thing. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of Rockyisms. Like if you know the Rocky films and watch the dialogue in this film, again, the bums, uh, Joe Spinelli, he said, take it easy. The way he says, take it easy. Both the ears, my ears. It's like the way I love it. <laughs> so that was Victor. Sly's name, of course, in the film was Cosmo. Great name. And then Lenny, played by Armand Asante. So Armand, as you know, also co-starred with Craig's favorite Sly film, Judge Dredd. Did Judge Dredd ever get released? <laughs> it was, I think, the last official movie coverage we did. Two years edit, I think? Was it two years? Well, yeah, but that record has since been broken. By Doug? <laughs> <laughs> I think Doug is still releasing Rocky Minute with his first marriage. I think some of those episodes. Yeah, yes, yes, I am. I am. He's almost working on his second divorce, and he's so. <laughs> the the we're, one thing I'm jumping, grabbing him out. The Lenny character is actually probably the most interesting character in this movie. He's an injured war veteran mm-hmm. who is working as a. A mortician? Yeah, he's a mortician. Yeah, that's where, um, that's where Cosmo Sly got one of his suit jackets from. They, you know, they panned a shot to this naked dead body. Like, he's <laughs> yeah. not going to need it. He literally stole a suit from a dead body. There's yeah. yeah. parts like that. They're, they're clever in their own right, but they're horribly 
It's not delivered very well, but they're funny. It's kind of funny. He took us, you know, he's not going to need it in the next life type thing, which is true. I, I almost feel, Ryan, and we say this, I think we say this a lot, especially nowadays, but Paradise Alley would have really probably worked as like a TV, a miniseries or a TV show. Five to eight episodes, flesh out the characters, show Armand uh, Asante's character, Lenny, show him in the war, coming back from the war, show him leaving for war, saying goodbye to Ann Archer's character. They were dating, Mm -hmm. they were together. Because it's very interesting, like you're saying, Craig, very interesting. He comes back from the war. It's not really spelled out very well, but he comes back, he's injured, and this hurts his ego. You know, he doesn't think anyone wants to be with him, so he doesn't talk to the girl or nothing. Those are interesting character points. Yeah, yeah, and he's also able to do the uh, Charlie Chaplin. Yeah, um, I thought that was very well. He put the mm-hmm. cane up to his nose. He, so he did Charlie Chaplin. He was asked by, this is why I called him Lenny, Victor, the character played by Lee. Remember Lenny in Mice and Men, where he kept asking mm-hmm. uh, George, tell George, me, tell me about yeah. the rabbits, George. Was that, tell me about the rabbits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. that was Lenny's, sorry, Lee, Victor, sorry, Lee playing Victor. That was Victor's character saying, tell mm-hmm. me, show me the Charlie Chaplin. Show me the Charlie, that was his little Oh, yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the first is just like of Mice and Men. I'm no offense to Sly, but I bet you this is where he got it from because because Lenny does the first time he does it, he does it like with the brings up the cane, he makes himself have a mustache. Then the second time mm-hmm. he's asked to do it in the film, he twirls the stick like Charlie Chaplin. But then the third time he does it, he's like, uh, he doesn't want to be bothered because you see the decline, the Joe, the right. Lenny character declines, he gets irritated by Victor. The same, yeah, way it, it gets old. Yeah, right. I thought. Lenny's character, uh, Lenny and Lee, their characters were much more interesting to me than than Cosmo. I'm in agreement with you there. I just didn't care to know anything else about Cosmo. Fast talking grifter, a con man that just, there's no deeper level to that. Even if there was, like, I didn't care to, to learn about it. You could actually probably rewrite this movie and take Cosmo out of it oh and have gosh. Lenny go through that transformation where he goes from not wanting to exploit his brother to exploiting his brother to finally realizing that he shouldn't exploit his brother. Because if you think about it, that's the only reason for Cosmo and Lenny to sort of exist together is they have this differing opinion on how they should treat their brother. And then also you got that little bit with Ann Archer where Cosmo's trying to get with her and she gets back with Lenny. And then you've got the girl that Cosmo's with, but like none of that ultimately matters to the plot. It would have been better to see more of Vic and Susan who is teaching him how to be more of an intellectual. Like she's, teaching him they're reading the dictionary together basically yeah, great, that, like yeah. that to me it would have been awesome to get more of that well maybe again that's what sly was talking about about the studio taking those scenes out maybe that's what he's referring to be, to be fair to sly's statement because with the criticisms we're bringing up is too much cosmo and maybe the studio wanted more sly because of his rocky mm-hmm. success so they're like no, no no this is a stallone film you're the star you're this rising star your picture one best picture this is your next big picture type thing. So to be fair to Sly, maybe that's what he's saying. Maybe he did see it more as a character film. Unfortunately, it should have been more Sly behind the camera, less Sly in front of it. Mm-hmm. He's right. Somebody like Pacino would have been a better Cosmo because Pacino's got that more of that fast-talking, rat-like type personality, like a Joe Pesci type character. A younger Pacino could have done that. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it needed to be as over the top as he is. Yeah, yeah, Victor wasn't cartoonish. Neither his two brothers weren't cartoonish. The way I, I was kind of thinking about him was his one grift where he plays like disabled veteran looking for money. He reminded me of Eddie Murphy in like the first couple of minutes, the first ten minutes of Trading Places. 
But that's a comedy movie. So that kind of, that fast talking, grifting personality fits in Trading Places. It didn't fit so well in this movie. Was Cosmo supposed to be funny? Were we supposed to laugh? I think so, because look at the amount of comedy characters that are in the movie. Stitch is a comedy character. That's the problem with this film, is there's moments in this film that felt like a real drama. One of them, let's just give a shout out, because I want to talk about this moment, to uh, Frank McRae, who plays Big Glory. He was fantastic mm. in this film. Yeah. Yeah, he yeah. Is. Tarantino actually says he should have been nominated for an Oscar. Yeah, see me and QT on the same level of understanding. <laughs> I totally agree with uh, Quentin, because... Frank was awesome in this film. His character was used just perfectly as a supporting side actor, side character. And his sequence, when they had that night of drunken stupor where they drive the truck through <laughs> bars, in the street. Yeah, that was a little bit too Monty Python. They literally drive the truck through a bar. Anyways. Yeah, yeah. So this is the problem with the film. It's disjointed because we have moments of them being drunk and silly together. Had they made that part less cartoonish, but still having, they're out in the town, they're having a joyride, catcalling the girl, sure, maybe smashing through a few bushes, but crashing through the bar was a little bit too much. But anyways, then they go to the dock, and that sequence with Big Glory, played by Frank McCray, talking about how he's going to commit suicide. And Sly did a great job, too. Actually, this was top Sly moment. His acting here, telling this guy, talking him off the edge, literally, Say, don't jump and the, you know, don't do this. What are you talking about? I thought it was fantastically acted, fantastically scripted. But when Big Glory was saying, no, I'm dying happy. You know, a lot of people mm-hmm. commit suicide when they're sad. I'm dying on a high note. And then he jumps over the edge and lands in the garbage barge. I thought that was great. Yeah. You know, like, oh, okay. But no, he, he still did it. And I thought it was a fantastic part of the film. And I wish Sly or the editors, or whoever was in charge, kept that tone throughout the film. Ultimately, that character really is even though it might seem kind of accelerated via, I guess it's a montage, you know, where we see Vic wrestling all the different wrestlers and the toll is taking on him physically. But I think that that Big Glory was supposed to be sort of one of the sort of reasons that Cosmo, you know, has a change of heart because he sees Big Glory, who was the champion at Paradise Alley, like living in the basement in squalor and seeing the life that he has. And I think he's like, wait, well, wait a minute. This could be the way that Vic's story ends. This might be one of the problems with the movie is when you say it that way, it makes his turn to the way he treats his brother a little more evident like okay now now i understand it but watching a movie today i didn't even pick up on that seeing the the way that big glory was kind of living and and squalor and everything and equating that to how his brother might turn out that never even entered my mind so either i'm a dumb movie watcher which is very much entirely possible or logging into discord but I've seen this movie a couple of times now, and this is, like I said, it's the third time I'm podcasting on it. I've had a lot of time to think about Paradise Alley. (laughs) (laughs) More time time than most. And and also, it did help to read sort of Tarantino's breakdown of the movie as well. I mean, he's a very intelligent film goer. Yeah, I think he understands film. Let's also give a shout out to Sly and his continuing ability, great ability, of naming characters. His names, he comes up with the Rocky films, of course, the Expendable films. Mm-hmm. One of these days, we got to put together a list of the characters he's named in his work. In this film, <laughs> we got Stitch, Rat, Burp. Joe Spinell's character's <laughs> yeah. name is Burp. I just love it. <laughs> Mumbles is Tom 
a Watts or is it Waits or I can't say is, is it Waits or Watts? Um, Waits. Waits. Yeah. Waits. Tom Waits. But I love because Tom, I know I've seen him interviewed and talk a few times in his life. He does kind of mumble. So I love how Sly gives him the name Mumbles in, in the film. What about his brother's uh, wrestling name is the, the Kid Salami? Yeah, Kid Salami. <laughs> it was fantastic. And he wears a salami <laughs> outfit. <laughs> Yeah, that was. Did he, I wonder if they got good. that. They got that outfit from uh, Shamrock Meats. I wonder if that's where they picked up. The <laughs> and then uh, Cosmos, of course, played by Sly. His girlfriend, his whore. She was a worker. Her name mm-hmm. was Bunchy. Lastly, we have, of course, Stitch, and then Frank the Thumper, played by Terry Funk. These are just great names. I love the names. Those are kind of Disney-esque type nicknames, and that's what made this film disjointed a little bit. I think it would have benefited had Francis Ford Coppola directed it. I, I'm not to say it can't have comedy moments or or light moments. Even a heavy drama can have some, you know, mm-hmm. not comedy, but you get what I'm, Look at Goodfellas, right? That's a dark film, but Joe Pesci's character makes you laugh. He is actually so over the top that it's, but it's done so well. So I think. Had Joe Pesci played Cosmo in the alternate universe, let's say, you can be over the top and silly. Your character is so crazy, but it doesn't have to be silly. It's also the fact that Ryan's comparing Paradise Alley to one of the greatest films ever made. In the <laughs> no, but what I'm, you know, what I'm getting so I was a terrible. What I'm getting at is you can have a gritty it, film the, with the balance. Out. It's a delicate balance, right? Yeah, it, it is a delicate balance, but it also it, it's in the same way as balancing. It depends on what kind of comedy you're kind of sprinkling in there. You can't do slapstick stuff like when Stitch gets his pants ripped off and he's wearing pantyhose underneath. Like exactly. that, that. What are we doing here? Is this that, airplane? That's, yeah, exactly. It's airplane. That's exactly what I was thinking of. If you want a serious drama, that's not the kind of comedy that belongs in there. Totally agree. Talk about the dog scene with the suicide with Big Glory. And then these like romantic triangle moments between Cosmo going after Lenny's old fiance and then they get re-engaged Cosmo and the girl but then they break up again and then there's the brother tension but then I'm like I'm supposed to be feeling tension but yeah but then I got a guy putting vampire teeth in his mouth that would look like a scary wrestler it's all over the place and so I don't know if I'm supposed to laugh cry or take it seriously so I don't do anything I don't laugh once nothing was funny I didn't I truly didn't go (laughs) ha ha so was Do that, you ever you, truly go? <laughs> you didn't laugh when Vic was singing "Wake Up, Bella." Oh my God! To oh, the bird. Okay. They tied a monkey up, guys. That was a real it. monkey. And yeah. gagged it. But I hate animal cruelty. I really do. I don't like watching it. I don't like watching animals get injured. I'd, I'd rather watch a human break their leg than a horse break their leg. So there was a real monkey. For anyone wondering, a monkey. The UK version actually took it out. They actually had the brains to take it out, but the. There is actually a monkey who's tied to, what, some sort of post or something? He's actually wrapped around a rope. This monkey cannot move. So somebody actually took the monkey, wrapped it in cord, and put duct tape on the monkey's mouth. We see this image, and then we're supposed to laugh? I felt horrified. And then he smashes a bunch of roaches. Even PETA doesn't allow that. You're not allowed to even kill roaches on screen anymore. But no, he killed real roaches on screen, which is like, okay, roaches are one thing, but the gag monkey. Yeah, that poor thing. I I also thought the monkey was going to have a much bigger part in this (laughs) than just a couple of scenes. Yeah, I thought the monkey had a bigger role too. That's the ultimate thing about this movie is it could have been like a 90-minute movie if you cut out all the stuff that never gets paid off. The first wrestling match was $100 against the monkey. No, no, let's talk about how he got the monkey first. 
Yeah. Arm wrestling. Arm wrestling. Wasn't that's right. Sly yeah. with wrestling in Rocky Three, wrestling in this film, arm wrestling in this film, arm wrestling over the top. I know why Seiko hates Sly so much. I got it. Because these are the films Seiko would do. If Seiko did all of his films would have some sort of weightlifting montage, <laughs> there'd be some sort of, what do you call it, a speech about physical fitness and manlyhood. This is Sly. This is Sly. He's always got to have some sort of, look at me. I'm working out. Look at me. I'm doing yeah, arm yeah. curls and so Tell it's me I'm trope. wrong, Seiko. Tell me I'm wrong. The whole arm wrestling scene was, was nuts to me. How long was that match supposedly going on? I was going to ask they, that because the way it's edited, they keep fading in and out. And that's like cinema speak for there's time going by. Yeah, yeah. People were gathered around. They're sweating. And Terry Funk, did we see how ugly he is? Oh, boy, I didn't realize. Oh, how, God. Cauliflower ears. I didn't recognize him at first. Hey, Ryan Seiko just chimed in. He said, I got to be honest, you're not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Terry Funk's faces that he was making during that arm wrestling match. Like his nose started bleeding out of nowhere. Why was his nose bleeding? (laughs) Did the pressure in the room change? Yes. Is this supposed to be serious or funny? Beats me. Uh, This film is frustrating because I'm glad I've seen it because Mm -hmm. this has been my great whale. I can now say I've seen Lords of Flatbush. (laughs) reviewed it. We've seen Paradise Alley. These are big films and Fist. These three films are that pre-Rocky II era, right? So these are the films mm-hmm. that came out before Rocky Two. This is Sly trying to do things other than Rocky, which we know he can do and he did do later in his career, like Copland and, of course, the Tulsa King. I'll always say this about Sly. The Tulsa King has covered a lot of sins. Like, seeing him yeah. in the Tulsa King, it covers a lot of sins. I feel like I can hack on this movie a little bit more knowing how good he is in that film, right, in that TV series. But anyways. All three of those films were period pieces as well. Yeah, he loves those period pieces. Yeah, he does. This is the problem with the film. Again, I've talked about tone. But what I liked about I didn't hate this film at all. <clears throat> I actually quite enjoyed watching it. I know my review has seemed like a... No, this wasn't like watching Escape Plan 3 or, you know... Right. No, I loved watching the film because, it, to me, it's a history piece. This is, like, so long ago when this came out. This mm-hmm. is a young Sly. This is a Sly trying to discover himself as an actor. This is Sly putting his heart and soul onto a movie. He's right and directed this film. This is kind of him showcasing that he's not just Rocky. I get it. So I, I have a soft spot for what this film was trying to do. And I believe him when he says that... There was some butchering in the editing because I believe that the things that we criticized regarding character development was probably what was taken out because they wanted to make it Sly-centric. We'll say the wrestling sequences were legit. Yeah. They were well done. The wrestlers. They were very – because they used real yeah. wrestlers. The hits and the bumps they took. They really went for it with the wrestling. It was wrestling during this time, the late 70s. Was it still – It was still real. They, they were still putting on like the – was it like, you know how boxing is real, right? In the sense of, yes. Well, obviously. You know, boxing is corrupt and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, it's not scripted. It, obviously, Stallone, the filmmaker, knew that wrestling was what it was. Yeah, in 78, he would but, know. Yeah. Terry Funk would know this because Terry Funk was but, the era that it was preordained, determined out. But in the movie universe, it's real. In 1946, was it still real? Like, men grab, like MMA. Was this early it, MMA? It, Do we know? No, pro wrestling was never real, though. I mean. Oh, really? Yeah. It wasn't like Greco-Roman. I mean, you know. Yeah. There was a segue between Olympic wrestling. So even in the 1946 United States wrestling, it was still predetermined outcomes? That far back? Oh. It was always a carny show, man. 
But how you got there was, I'm sure it wasn't as choreographed back then as it is now. No, it's okay. never not been physical, though. I, these are amazing athletes. I'm Even the ones that these guys that are in WWE or AEW wrestling, these guys are amazing athletes. Those bumps are still real. It's just the, the outcomes mm-hmm. are predetermined. The dance they do in the ring, if you mean Doug to say, let's say he and I just went in the ring. Doug says, Ryan, you're going to win this match. We would, we would look terrible. There's a real dance in athleticism that they have to know and do. Dot, 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 the outcomes are predetermined. So what I'm getting at, so 1946, you're, you're saying they were still kayfabe and work and all that stuff was... Re- okay. We're watching the film as the mark. So to us, it's all real. To the guys in the ring, it's real. Sly did not expose the business. No, I know we're talking about... T- in this movie... The fight was like MMA, UFC fighting. It was supposed to be yeah. real, yes. Because yes. there was, they put money on the table for the winner, nine thousand dollars. There was a real chance that Lee, sorry, Victor, would have lost the nine grand. Yeah, yeah. In this film universe, the wrestling was real. It's real. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Interesting. That's what I kind of liked about it. The wrestling stunt work. So that's what I call it. The stunt work they did in this film. The bumps that were filmed in '78 here mm. on that. Very cool. They did it in the rain or like the leaky roof. Yeah. Great effect. And Lee and Terry, their match was, and the flips they did in the turnbuckles and the arm, when they do Mm -hmm. the chest thump and stuff, it looked actually more quote-unquote real than what you saw in the 80s and 90s back in the heyday. The bumps they took for this film looked legit. And that's ultimately why you cast Terry Funk. You also had the montage of him going through the the other wrestling matches, and those were all legit wrestlers. All the wrestling, obviously, the guys that were involved, Terry Funk included, wouldn't let Sly or anybody make a mockery out of wrestling. So you could tell they're very serious about it, and they want to protect. Terry Funk was protecting the business. They all were protecting the illusion. Clearly, Stallone has a love of professional wrestling. Like you said, he used Hogan later on. He helped put wrestling over, if you will, by having Rocky in the wrestling world. And that's the other thing that might really make the sequences so successful is Sly wasn't mocking wrestling, no, pro wrestling. He was actually taking seriously. There's no co- there was no comedy in the wrestling. Yeah, I think somebody just might have been Donald. Donald. Yeah, yeah mentioned. Uh, Ted DiBiase praising Sly. I, I couldn't see him. I couldn't. I I have to go back and watch that because he would have been very young back then. I didn't recognize him right away. Yeah, he says Donald said Ted DiBiase praised Sly for defending wrestlers on the set of this film. Oh, the no. crew made fun of them. Sly halted production and told them to stop. Sly said the wrestlers were the reason they were able to film those scenes so quickly. He understood again that predetermined outcomes does not take away from their athleticism, their toughness. These guys, and uh, Craig, well, both you guys are studied behind the scenes stuff of wrestling, right? I know you guys have. I know I have too. Well, of course, I know what I've done, but I'm fascinated by behind the scenes stuff of wrestling. I just didn't realize it went back that far, but I love the uh, the old networks and circuits and the Vince McMahon senior stuff and all that. These boys, though, when they weren't in the ring and they'd get some schmuck in a bar saying they could beat them up, these wrestlers were tough dudes. They were tough you do not want to fight these guys. You lay your hands on some of these old school wrestlers back in the day, you're dead meat, man. A lot of Even them started as- off as wrestlers, college wrestlers. You know, in their own right, they were legitimate wrestling athletes. Talk about the real wrestling, if if you want to call it that. But yeah. Well, it's really like any other sort of Olympic sport, if you will. There's no pro avenue for a lot of those Olympic athletes to go from. So can you imagine being like an Olympic-level athlete 
And then not having a way to make money with that. That's why you look at a guy like Mark Henry, who came out of powerlifting and was competed in the Olympics. Kurt Angle, who won a gold medal with a broken neck. I guess Major League Soccer has sort of done that. But like women's gymnastics, even like or even look at Nancy Kerrigan, who was a gold medal ice skater, who her only avenue to work would be ice capades or putting on a Minnie Mouse suit. (laughs) The transition from amateur wrestling, for lack of a better word, to pro wrestling kind of makes sense and for those who don't know the first time i ever talked about this movie was on my very first podcast which is nine years old at this point called camel clutch cinema and we covered this movie for those who don't know camel clutch cinema was a podcast where we talked about movies that starred wrestlers or had wrestling in them course this starred wrestlers and had wrestling in them so it was a one-two punch and also i'm so proud of the fact that we did 80 consecutive weeks ryan wow 80 consecutive (laughs) weeks without missing an episode back when you were a good podcaster that he he came on my show (laughs) he's burnt out by now the other thing about it ryan i'd say a good 25 percent of those episodes probably you know the last 25 percent of those episodes we would just go sit down in a Taco Bell or a Moe's or uh, some other fast food joint, put my friend Guy's iPhone down in the middle of the table between us, and that's how we'd record the episode. Oh, wow. <laughs> Producing them was very easy, and editing pretty much entailed sticking on the intro and sticking on the outro. I care too much. I, I, I don't think it's about caring too much, Ryan, but I think when you're doing an in-person, if me, you, and Doug were in a room together, editing becomes a lot more challenging because you're not isolated the way that you're normally isolated like we are now. The overall ambiance is different. I think if you listen to those episodes, you, you won't say those sound unprofessional. Oh, um, no, I was going to say, they probably you probably did a better job than we are now of the film. So Dra- I'm sorry to drag you through this for a third time. This will be your last, at least with me, we'll never talk about this film again, at the very least. I can't, I can't, I can't vouch for the podcast you might guest on, but... Yeah, yeah. No, I am no longer going to take invites to talk this. Uh, the second time I talked about this movie... Oh, no, shit, this is, this is my fourth time, because I did it for Camel Clutch Cinema, right. I did it for Slycast, and then I also did it for a podcast within the last two years because i was in this house called midnight movie cowboys oh this is actually the fourth time (laughs) oh i'm sorry i'm so sorry well you came in with the qt knowledge that was perfect timing there you go (laughs) you're totally uh right puff uh about me becoming civilized (laughs) (laughs) the worst thing that could happen to a podcaster (laughs) Uh, there's some gold in those in that live chat Oh, they're great. Yeah, yeah, they're great. Paul Floor, that's Louis. So, yeah, he's fantastic. I enjoyed watching this movie again. I mean, it's not a bad movie. It's No, it's not a bad it's, movie. It's not, just... it's not a great movie. It's a, it's a good movie. And I think, again, if you're looking for movies that show Sly or as close as we can see to who the real Sly is, I think this is one of those movies that you serve up. This, to me, was, was fascinating to see. I think it was you, Ryan, that mentioned that this was Sly rocky era sly so seeing him as a a 30 year old 31 32 year old guy playing a character that's so different than rocky it's really fascinating to see yeah you don't get to go back in time and and see that the sly we know for the most part is a sly of the 90s the late 80s sly of the 2000s and we've grinded through a lot of movies that were that were far inferior to this one when i was watching it i was comparing it to the other movie time you can't compare it to rocky that's just not fair no, no, 
but we covered Fist a while back, and I kept watching it, kind of comparing it to Fist, and you guys both know how much I loved Fist when we talked about it. Fist hit all the beats that (laughs) that I was looking for. Loved it. I really did. Fist, it did it for me. It, it hit all like the beats that I, that I was looking for. <laughs> Don't talk about your wedding night. What's that? Sorry, go ahead. I know. I, I, I just put my foot right in my mouth. Oh, you put your fist in your mouth is what you did. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> my slippered foot. But this one, like, you know, I kept, like I said, saying like, all right, Fist succeeded where, where this one kind of lacked a little bit. Is it a terrible movie? No. There's just too many question marks, too many boxes unchecked. And I was watching this. And the other thing, in fairness to Sly, is this was Sly's first time directing, whereas Fist was directed by Norman Jewison, who is a much more accomplished, and if you, I mean, for lack of a better word, a great journeyman director. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, let's not forget to mention Bill Conti, too, did the oh, score. Yeah, of course, did the score. Yeah. There was a couple moments and where it sounded rocky-esque. There was a couple, I yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. for sure. Yeah. yeah. He was definitely playing in the same tonal sandbox. And then also the cinematography in this film is great, too. You got Lalo Kovacs, who you'll see his name on a ton of pictures. I mean, Neon always looks cool. The Paradise Alley sign, especially in the rain, like, that just looked great. Yeah, yeah. We had the Blu-ray, so thanks to Andy, our pirate, we got the Blu-ray version of this. So it looked good. It looked sharp. The the picture was clean. Dialogue was clean. Uh, Everything was clean. The audio was clean like this. Everything about it was clean. And, uh, <laughs> anyway, I don't know. This is ridiculous. That was this great. Is, this is the worst podcast ever. So with this, <laughs> I'm glad I saw this. I really am. And oh, speaking of Fist, I'd rather watch this than Fist. You put the two in front of me, I'm going to put this in again. I think this is a more wow. oh, easily. Fist is boring. Fist is boring. It's kind of I boring. loved it, man. I was all in. I, I, yeah, I, I, don't, I know you're I, all in it, with I, Fist. I know you're all in with that. What's that? Sorry. I think I think I have to agree with Doug here. I mean, if, if I was going to rank out my Stallone period piece trilogy, I would go in the watching order. I, I'd be inclined to watch Fist first. Paradise Alley second, Lords of Flatbush third. Okay. Distant third. Distant. Okay. <laughs> Distant. Way behind Paradise Alley. I don't know. Paradise Alley, 50 feet of shit, and then Flatbush. You know what? I, this is my favorite movie of all time. No, I'm just joking. I, uh, <laughs> this movie, as I was watching, I should say, I was like, oh, I can't wait to talk to Doug and Craig about this because it is a fascinating, crazy mm. film. It should be more of a cult favorite than it is. This yeah. film should be, because it's so zany and over the top, like the, from the underwear sequence of the guy wearing the woman's underwear, the film. Yeah. There's so much zaniness and craziness and dialogue doesn't make sense. It's the bound monkey. This movie kind of is just right on that precipice of being a cult favorite. It, it's not a good film, but it's almost just bad enough to be that film. Yeah, and you know what the problem is? If it wasn't Stallone, it would be considered like a cult midnight movie. Oh, interesting. Kevin Conway also is another connection between this and Fist. That's right. He's a great. I love Kevin yeah, Conway. Yeah, man. he's uh-huh. good. Yeah. Louis says he's gonna he's gonna send me the Lords of Flatbush soundtrack for Christmas. Oh, that's I sweet. Fucking, I hated that the songs in those unlicensed garbage. <laughs> it was fantastic, terrible. Fantastic. Okay, well, guys, as always, it's a it's a, it's a real pleasure to cover. Uh, well, just to work with you guys and. Doug, I don't know how many times you oh, you guys just do it without me. No, no, no. We have yet to do an episode of the Stolen Podcast without the three of us. It just won't happen. We will wait till the end of time. So our next film, should we just do Rhinestone or do we or do we see Rhinestone beat another film? Do we put it up against Oscar? There you go. Rhinestone yeah. versus Oscar. No, let's just do Rhinestone. Do not do that to me, Ryan. What do you mean? <laughs> 
I can't have Rhinestone lose two in a row. Oscar would win in a landslide. You think so? Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. Okay, well, Crap not in <laughs> Luis says crab doo-wop is the official designation of the Lord Flatbush soundtrack. <laughs> well, yeah. now because you said don't do it, the older brother the gold, me, the golden has been thrown. Yeah. So it's going to be Ryan Stone versus Oscar. Let the champion win. It has to be. We'll take it to the people. So we'll look forward to that. Right, we'll so, in 2023, we'll do that. Early 2023. Yeah, we'll, we'll be doing Oscar. Thank you. <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll see what the people do. I'll be podcasting that movie for the second time. <laughs> <laughs> And last, yeah. Never say never. Say never. Before we wind down, I know you've been doing your recaps of Tulsa King week by week, but I wanted to give myself and Doug an opportunity to oh, sort please. of yeah, good idea. Talk about Tulsa King, and I know I have some podcast episodes coming out that were recorded for the network with uh, Seiko, okay. where I probably talk about how great Tulsa King is. But as a Sly fan, and as a critical Sly fan, who's lived through some of the more unfortunate slide choices these past couple of years, which includes all that straight-to-video garbage. Remember Backtrace, guys? (laughs) Barely. But as a Sly fan, Tulsa King has been such a gift because it allowed me... It didn't remind me why I'm a Sly fan. I think it helped remind everybody else that's sort of in my circle why I'm a Sly fan. To see Sly finally lean into, and and Ryan, I believe you talked about this, lean into that Get Carter elevator scene, to lean into that character. I'm not going to say I wish he did it earlier, because this is like the exact perfect moment in time for him to do it. But it's so great to see Sly sort of paint with that palette of colors, if you will, and to not be constrained and to be on a network TV show that allows the violence and the language that they're allowing and to work with a caliber of talent like Taylor Sheridan, who is just constantly delivering. It's really been great. I'm really glad that we're not having a sort of a Bruce Willis style ending to Sly's career. We're really getting that more of that Clint Eastwood victory lap. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. And for the longest time, every time, you know, we've reviewed a Sly movie and I've watched these dregs over and over again, I see Stallone playing, what am I trying to say? It's Sylvester Stallone. I'm I'm looking at Sylvester Stallone on screen, who's trying to play a character. But in Rocky, in Rambo, I'll give it to Copland, certainly in Tulsa King, I'm watching the character that he's playing. It's not Stallone on screen. This is Dwight Manfredi. Now, you want to talk about how they use comedy in the right way, like the little sprinkled-in comedic moments in this are well-timed. They're well-delivered. Sly, we've seen him do some piss-poor comedy, but he delivers like a pro in this. The comedy lines that he comes out with, he seems like he's been doing it for years. It's right up there with Pesci and Goodfellas. He shocked the shit out of me. I knew he had it in. But he really like went above and beyond and shocked the shit out of me. So, far. are you guys current? I'm I'm completely up to speed. So let's talk episode six, Doug. Yeah. All right, let's do well, it. Let's ruin Brian, <laughs> mute us. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll just stop recording and stop streaming. Okay. Well, uh, what's next? Uh, well, so Craig, it's got some episodes coming out with Seiko. We we'll look forward to those. There's two great episodes coming out. It's going to be me and Seiko talking probably the most underrated action movie of the 80s, To Live and Die in L.A. Oh, nice. 
which was a really, really fun discussion. I know all three of us are on tap for the next season of Hugging the Cactus, the Mel Gibson podcast. So yeah, I recorded one I had a, I did a Maverick one. Yeah, um, and I did Machete Kills, which nice. was a ton of fun. Nice. Well, I just recorded The Patriot with Seiko the other day, so I hey, uh, look forward to film. that. I love that film. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't care. I love that film, man. We go cycle with a Tomahawk well, the, Axe, man. For, yeah, bro, yeah, I yeah. freaking it's, love that, man. The, uh, Mad Mel. Mad Mel. I love it. It's the historical liberties that they take that kind of crap. drives. It's a movie entertainment, man. He's a purist. Seiko is a purist when it comes to history. You can't oh. go off book with him. Oh, yeah, well, I don't want to but, go off book with him. It's a snooze fest. I don't want a history lesson. I want to talk. Like, <laughs> I just want to see Mad Mel take on the take on the Brits, man. It was fantastic. Anyways. Well, as far as um, Rocky Minute is concerned, we're in the middle of releasing a week's worth of episodes. A week. We did five episodes with the guys from Answering the Tent Count. For those people that don't know, Answering the Tent Count is a wrestling podcast. And um, one of the hosts of Answering the Tent Count, who was on with us when we did our week with them, our week of recordings, passed away recently. Oh, His really? name is Tommy. Yeah. Yeah. Who's Tommy so sad. Pondick. Yeah. Who's sorry, um, Tommy Pondick, one of the co-hosts. Okay, so wow. I've been in touch with Greg and, and I'm kind of sprinkling in these, these answering the 10 count recordings kind of just to preserve, oh, kind of because I'm somewhat lazy, but also to preserve Tommy's memory longer. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, know, uh, I've had some of the answering the 10 count people reach out and say how they look. Tommy's voice, you know. Oh wow! You know, a couple minutes. So, but you're also um, just lazy. Yeah. Let's be clear. Yeah, that's that's like the main the main issue there. <laughs> that's where we're at right now. I got I got a bunch more episodes in the can. I got to start recording again to uh, finish up Rocky Three. But Doug, are you in a race with Jeff Ferry to see who can release minute episodes slower? <laughs> yeah, doing? Jeff. Uh, they're on Dogma. They just ran through their bank, and they're they're like. One by wanting wanting it now. I recorded a dogma episode with them during the pandemic, and I believe I lost connection, and we never <laughs> we never finished. Like, oh wow! So I don't even know like if that episode is going to be released or not. I just disconnected, and I'm like, oh, I guess they're not calling me back. Uh, yeah, that's on brand for them. <laughs> and hopefully, 2023, we'll get some more slide done. That's my goal with you guys. Get a few more, at least, you know, a good handful of side films done. We're almost done. His his main filmography is almost over. Uh, so we are nearing the end of it. So I look forward to doing more with you. If you want to hear me, I do a Ramble Series podcast called It's a Long Road. The Ramble Series podcast. And it's getting some good traction and reviews. And I appreciate that. The Rocky Series podcast called One More Round. Revisiting the Rocky franchise with Katie and Kyle. Lastly, check out the Last of the Action Heroes podcast shows where I do... Standalone episodes of movies and from actors that aren't Sly, Arnold, all the big guys, Mel. Yeah, you did Malone recently, right? We did Malone. Mm-hmm. Man, I'm having a blast cover. There's going to be more Burt Reynolds. You're, you know, you're almost doing a Burt Reynolds podcast. It's almost happening. Yeah, you, you, love, you love you some Burt Reynolds, man. That bearskin rug from all those years ago really burned its image into you. Man. You can't get enough of Burt. Yeah, I don't want to compete with the other Burt Reynolds podcasts out there, but me and Jared from the uh, 25th Century Podcast, we're going to be doing more Burt. That'll be coming in 2023 as well, so stand by for that. <laughs> hey, Ryan, if and when you ever think about doing Stick, I'd like to join you for that one. Is that a Burt show? Is that a Burt movie? Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen it. Okay. It's ex-con Burt, and it's based on a novel by Elmore Leonard, and Elmore Leonard wrote the screenplay. Oh. Nice. Okay, you're in. It's got legendary stuntman Dar Robinson in an acting role, which was rare for him. Oh, wow. Look at that, guy. What a good tease. Soundbite for Stick in 2023 with with Craig. (laughs) Okay, that's going to be fun. All right, guys. 
Thank you so much, and we'll see you on the next uh, Sloan Podcast Network show. See you. All right. That's right. Take care.